You're listening to the Reinvest Podcast, where we dive deep into the power of real estate investing, where you will learn how to build wealth and maximize your life. Your hosts, Garrett Gatton and Sessa Manila. Welcome to episode 20 of the Reinvest Podcast, where we will show you how to maximize your life through the power of real estate investing. Uh, it's good to be on another episode today. Garrett, how are you doing? We just got through the the Christmas weekend. How was it for you and your family? I feel like with the, the winter weather storm advisory, I feel like when people are like, hey, well, did you ever remember the blizzard of 88? I feel like that's, I'm going to look back. I'm like, you remember the winter storm of 2022? Yeah. So on <laughs> Christmas Eve, I got a call from my tenant and he's like, hey, sorry to bother you on Christmas Eve but there's water coming out of my ceiling. So I was like, oh no, <laughs> you know, and everybody's closed on Christmas. And so you want to be a real estate so, yeah, investor. Yeah. So you want to be a real estate investor. So turns out I got there, he left the back door open and it was like negative 20 with the wind chill. And he just like left the back door open. So the pipes froze in the laundry room and it, it created a big mess. So Merry Christmas. Yeah, sorry. yeah. So today on our podcast, we're bringing on Jim Carpenter. So, uh, Jim is south of us, just a couple minutes in Georgia. So, Jim, how are you doing? The dogs. <laughs> <laughs> where are you right now? Are you in Georgia right now? Or are you in? Uh, where are you at? I'm literally at the beach at our beach house. I'm looking at the water right across here. Um, it just so a little, in a little context, we don't have a video component, but uh, we hop on the Zoom call, and the first thing that we see is a Georgia Bulldogs beanie and a Michigan hoodie, and we are in Ohio recording this, and we're like a couple days out from a big bowl game, so the audacity of you Go to- dogs, go blue. <laughs> or that paraphernalia. We'll edit that part out. Yeah. <laughs> So Jim, you really nerd out over real estate investing and and actually even more than that, leadership development. Um, I had the the blessing and the opportunity to rub shoulders with you uh, at my time uh, serving and, and doing ministry and fundraising. And actually, it, kind of the onset of our relationship was more in the leadership aspect, which we'll have an opportunity at the end of today's episode to talk about how you guys are doing something so much bigger than just real estate investing. That's just one of the touch points in the expressions for the bigger heart that you guys have. Um, and you just, you, you bleed that, which is awesome. Um, so a little context here and correct me if I fumble anything. Um, but you and your beautiful wife, Lisa, you guys are co-owners of Pridgen Enterprises with, uh, is it your brother-in-law? Or it's her brother-in-law. Brother Lisa's um, brother, yes. Yep, Jay. And you guys are a three-generation company of real estate investment, starting with her father over 40 years ago. And in today's episode, what, I, what I'm excited to hear from you about is the legacy, wealth-building aspect of real estate and how you guys have navigated that, how you're navigating it, and then how you're setting up the next generation to take this on. Because that's really, I mean, that's even the model of our show. How do you build wealth through real estate? And wealth is not transactional. It's not momentary. Wealth, by definition, is something that goes on beyond yourself. So really excited to get into that um, today. Well, thank you guys, man. I'm honored to be here. I'm humbled and blessed. Uh, 
hang out with two real estate young guns, ballers. And uh, <laughs> I, I love, I love the podcast. I love when you contact me about it. I've listened to multiple episodes and it's great, man. I think this is a, this is filling a big niche um, that's just going to take off for you guys. Well, thank you. We, we've actually, we were uh, talking about this. It, we're coming up on a year and episode 20, we've been able to survey just a lot of really awesome people in different sectors within real estate. Um, so excited to keep doing this. And I know we've talked, there could be episode two, three, and four uh, to today because you've been doing this long enough that there's a lot here. But I guess just kick us off by giving us the history of how the company started um, and, and Pridgen Enterprises. Well, I appreciate you asking that. Um, to tell that story, I got to tell a little bit of the story of my father-in-law, uh, Jimmy Pridgen Sr., whose company namesake it is, Pridgen Enterprises Incorporated. Um, it's the short version, the 10-second version of it is he, it's like the millionaire next door story, if you've ever read it. Um, and Jimmy just um, was an entrepreneur. He went through multiple different things. And I remember when I met Lisa 37 years ago, um, I got to meet Jimmy and talk to him about business at that point in time, not knowing that here we would be sitting here almost 40 years later today, recapping the whole thing. Um, I just remember he kind of started and in the first business venture, he made pennies. And I remember he said he went to dimes and then he went to dollars and then he eventually got into real estate. And so wow. he started um, with a Western auto store and that was a franchise. Um, he packed up his family from North Carolina and moved to Georgia, picked a crossroads for it to be there. And that's where the pennies began to have all the little different parts there. And then um, he started running um mattress and bicycle tractor trailer loads um, out of the business there, which the franchise didn't like. And so then <laughs> he kind of got, you know, the old slap hand and he said, well, okay, I've learned what I need to learn. Um, I'm going to open up my own. And he started this whole organization called Shopper's Choice. He went into furniture, he went into bedding, he went into um, appliances, TVs, all that type of stuff. And where the real estate kind of came into play um, was as the cash flow went pennies um, to dimes to dollars um, back in the 1990s. Um, before any of you guys were born, um, some of our listeners may have been remember this, but we had the old RTC, the Resolution Trust Company, when the first time the government kind of came in to help bail out some of all the loans and stuff. So that's where I kind of came into the picture. And he was traveling to Atlanta to different hotels where they started um, auctioning off land and property at that point in time, most of it being sight unseen. And you would go there and sit for hours and you would wait for a piece of land to come up in your area because hopefully you knew where it was and you would kind of bid on it sight unseen because we didn't have anything that we had here. And he bought 40 acres of land, um, actually bought about 100 acres of it, but we took 48 acres of it and they began to develop it, he and my brother-in-law. And they took those 40 acres, developed it into one acre lots and began to put manufactured homes on those lots. Wow. That's one of the first lessons in real estate from him, where he said a fast penny is always better than a slow dime. And we learned the law of multiple there, of ROI, a certain amount. We could pay for those things in five years. We still have that same 40 acres, those same 40 manufactured homes, that paid for themselves within the first five years, 40 years ago, mm. and now flipped eight different times. Wow. That's crazy. So, I mean, he, he's like, when you're an entrepreneur, you're, you are always looking for opportunity. 
And it's more of a mindset than it is an asset class or a business type. So obviously, you know, that progression, there was the franchise and some of what he stepped out to do. But then obviously he was not intimidated by developing a mobile home park. Well, it's it's a little crazy because a lot of people would probably not want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. But I think what happened was I, I remember sitting down with him um, in my 30s and him looking at me and saying, well, Jim, there's three different things that you should look at you know, as you move to the future. And he's one of the smartest business guys I knew, although he wasn't college educated. Like I said, it's a millionaire next door kind of story. But I mean, even 30 years ago, he looked at me and said, here's the three fields. He says, you want to go into medicine, you wanted to go into food, or you wanted to go into real estate, because people will always need a place to live, food to eat, and medicine to take, no matter whether the economy is up or down. And he chose real estate um, for himself. And for those of you that are investors out there, I used to look at him and think, oh my gosh, you could be running this company. He had one of the largest bedding manufacturers out of Alabama for quite a while, and he had somebody that ran it for him. And I'm thinking, well, just go be a CEO and do this and do that. And now that I've gotten into the family business, I I realized it was pretty ingenious because it doesn't take a lot of people, and you can do it through your family to run a successful generational wealth-building real estate business. You don't need hundreds of employees. Um, You need a few, uh, as long as you've got good ones. You know, I was listening to a podcast this morning. I think it was uh, Invest Like a Billionaire. And uh, these guys are from, I think, Aspen Capital. Is that right? Yeah. Ben Ben Frazier? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they were talking with their guest about family offices. And we I kind of heard the term a couple years ago um, from a client of ours, actually, who managed for a family office. In, in the podcast this morning, he was talking about how a lot of those family offices start from like a large liquidity event. So maybe somebody scales a successful business and they cash out of that business. And then they're left with the sum or, you know, of that, uh, of that capital. And then they go and invest in a real estate, which is the generational aspect of, of that. I just thought it was interesting with what you're talking about. Maybe there was an operation side of the business very lucrative and can be, but the long-term aspect of that, uh, people, you know, they invest that in other asset classes because there's so many resources to rely on other people, property management companies, um, passive investments, uh, where someone else is the sponsor. So that is interesting that, that he made that pivot and really went heavy in the real estate portion of it. Um, now, you weren't always in the family business, even though you were in the family. So when did you kind of step into the picture on the business side of things? Well, we've literally, um, in the last 12 to 14 years, have good, bad, or ugly. It's not a fun story, but we have gone through a generational transfer of wealth. And um, that was our first to the second generation. Um, all four of our parents, at least my parents, um, in a 10-year span, um, battled stage four cancers and um, have begun their dances on streets of gold way, way, way too early. And it started with my mother-in-law, Jimmy's wife. Um, she was in her fifties. And then um, as soon as uh, when she passed five years later, it was just a year and a half, two years later that 
Um, I'll never forget the day Jimmy and I were supposed to actually be meeting that day. And um, he was having some vertigo-like symptoms. He ended up with a GBT brain tumor and never really walked in the office again. And that was about eight or nine years ago. Um, A door was opened up. My wife was already very involved with that. Um, And I had been with two different companies um, that had gone public earlier in my business career, Um, took a, a, a diversion into ministry and then jumped back into business. And it was just a door that was open for us to jump in there. So it's been about, uh, we've been there for about nine or 10 years. I have been involved in the family business. And you were talking a little bit beforehand. Um, so many things, you know, we don't, we don't get to choose. Um, so you guys were faced with that decision. And when you jumped in, talk about kind of where the company was at at that time. Well, you can imagine for those of you that are investors out there, um, typically, especially first generation, a lot of your cards are held close. So Jimmy had this whole thing working and you were right. The capital that was used to do that, there was a little bit of a cash cow through one of his businesses. He had taken on the betting um, company and he had taken on a partner um, in a, a DCO, Dalton Carpet franchises and had multiple ones of those. So that was some of the cash cow that allowed this to happen. Well, none of us, when this all happened, um, the day that, and we're never prepared for it, but if I could say any anything to anybody that I've learned in the last 10 years, prepare even though you don't think that that day is coming. Mm-hmm. We had no clue that that day was coming. I had no clue that when I was supposed to meet with my father-in-law at 3 p.m. on that day, and he went to the ENT and the guy said, don't go home, turn around, don't drive. If you're driving, get out of the car and go straight to the hospital. And 24 hours later, he was having a golf ball sized brain tumor removed from his head, had a stroke and never walked back in the office after that. Wow. And so we, we that's what um, my brother-in-law, my wife and I ended up having. There were all kinds of issues and it could be for another time, another podcast, but there were tax issues. Nobody had ever seen the taxes except for Jimmy and his accountant. Um, there were um, handoff issues. There were life insurance issues. There were how long is he going to be here? Are we in trouble, um, you know, due to death taxes and generational handoff and estate taxes and all that type of stuff? So we had to go to work really quickly and over about a two-year period um, gained PhD in estate yeah. planning um, through some amazing people, lawyers, and counsel that we had. Well, and the thing about entrepreneurs, self-starters, uh, their gift mix typically is not in building systems. It's in that high energy, maybe more of a sales mentality. They're, uh, they're not risk adverse. So what they were good at and what they built the company on wasn't having everything filed correctly and, and you know, in order and the attorneys up to date on whose names are where and power of attorney stuff. We don't, they don't have time for that. So at, you know, at some point that transition has to be made, you guys really had to kind of figure it out by circumstance. Um, so when you came into the company, you had mentioned that your brother-in-law, um, before we start on the podcast kind of, or prior to us starting to record today, he was very much the construction, the hands-on portion of it. And you came in more of an operational standpoint on the property management side. Yeah. Uh, I would probably say, you know, three things that we look at in our company is knowledge, culture, and leadership. And when I came into there, I brought this leadership bent 
um, through my years into there. Love leadership. I think leadership explains the world and makes the, the, the world go round. But when I came in here, I realized we we have amazing knowledge in our company. We, we can go build anything. We can do anything. We can remodel anything. We have this niche market. I used to tell my father-in-law, you ought to put signs out around our county that says, we build dreams double wide. <laughs> <laughs> talking about the manufactured homes, we're talking about that because that—that's literally what was there. And and so when we when we looked at this, I said, well, if we're going to generationally do this well, we can't just have the knowledge. We have to have the culture and the leadership because right. it's got to grow beyond our family if there's going to be a generational transfer and handoff. So immediately, the two words that I started using um, within our company, which had never even really been used before, were systems and scaffolding, systems and scaffolding. Um, and I, by systems, putting in things that were reproducible, that other somebody else could come in and do that just wasn't in my brother-in-law's head or, you know, in somebody, um, we have our Uncle Dan still works for us and he's he's been with the company pretty much since the beginning, Jimmy's brother and, and all of that knowledge that was there, but there weren't the systems in place that we needed. And then scaffolding, because a lot of people, if you go to build something, and you get to that third or fourth layer of scaffolding, and it's not secured, the first or second layer, it all comes tumbling down. Mm -hmm. it, it, you, you see that in life. You see that in leadership. You see that in real estate. You extend yourself a little bit too far because you haven't built the scaffolding. So we went for systems and scaffolding, and it took us several years to get that put into place. And just to drill down a little bit further and, and kind of take it to an applicational level for somebody who's listening to this, what was one of the systems that was like the, that made the, the mega biggest outcome that you guys implemented? Oh, uh, easy answer. Um, we use um, a property management software called Appfolio. And there are several out there. Um, I went and found an IT guy and I went and found uh, and a QuickBooks guy kind of all wrapped up into one. Um, I call him Super T. Name <laughs> um, <laughs> starts with T. Um, but one of the things that happened was my mother-in-law. We literally in that time when the transition, I'm going through ledgers, handwritten Ooh. ledgers. Wow! Even if you came to our office today, hundreds of properties, as well as multiple commercial properties, we still have we still have a fire safe room where all of the documents are. Folder after folder after folder after folder. We, we, we haven't quite transitioned that far yet, but we had to get the right system. And so we went and investigated four or five different kinds and we chose the Appfolio property management software, changed our world. It changed everything. It changed yeah. how we dealt with our clients. It changed how we dealt with um, our employees and our team members. It changed how we did work orders, how we did maintenance calls, how we um, budgeted everything that we did as a company. And I would say the result of that, we have seen just in the last five or six years since my father-in-law has passed, our company has doubled and we are getting ready to quadruple within the next year because of those systems that got put into place and making sure the scaffolding was built. And those are, that's low hanging fruit because, you know, there's all types of resources. People are the biggest resource, but payroll is expensive. So there's other resources out there like technology and software. Um, and I, I think, what would you say to somebody who's like, well, Jim, right now I only have four rentals. Do I really need that? Because I can, I can still operate, you know, with text messages and, and all that stuff. Well, what you do today is a sign of what you're going to do tomorrow. 
<laughs> Come on. <laughs> or preach, right? That'll if, preach. if you wait too long. And so what I would say is, why not? I, I have this little quote in my office. If somebody came into my office and took over tomorrow, what would they do differently? Hmm. Uh, wow. Why shouldn't I start doing that today? Say that again. If somebody came into my office and took over tomorrow, what would they do differently? Why shouldn't I start doing that today? So if somebody comes in and takes over your rentals, they're probably going to add them to another part of their portfolio or something like that. Think ahead. Don't don't think small. Think big. You know, the whole idea of go big or go home. And the great thing about some of these property management softwares and even Appfolio is it's scaled. So it's it's not like you've got to go drop thousands of dollars in there. You that they that you go in there and you can you can start to manage your four properties on those um, right away, and it frees you up to go invest into other things. It frees you up to do research. It frees up your phone. It frees up the phone call. You know, there's a lot of things that allows you to be more efficiency and more efficient. It's economy of scale. It's efficiency is why I would say that you even go for it. You know, from the beginning when you could. Well, there's so many areas in our business where we step over a dollar to pick up a penny. And I think time is one Ooh, of those, those things. <laughs> I catch my, we have a, a buddy, a coworker of ours. He'll get these, he's got some rentals, a personal portfolio, and he's always having a hard time drawing the lines on what to do and what not to do in terms of construction. And uh, it is admittedly very hard, but um, you got to get some clarity and and figure out how to scale. Um, well, I I keep- say, Garrett, let me let me interject this if you don't mind. I know I just jumped. No, no, no go for it. If you're if you're new in this, there's tons of tools for you. Do it right from the beginning. And you mentioned some of your podcast listeners. Maybe they've been doing this for 15, 20 years. Maybe they're in that first to second generation handoff. Um, the thing that I found is if you always do things the way you've always done them, you're always going to get the same results. Yeah. Right. And yep. isn't it what people say about insanity is doing the same things over and over and over again. I have had to come in into this business and, and, and it's taken a minute, but I've had to come in and shoot a lot of what I would call sacred cows. Mm. We've always done it this way. Well, you can't computerize. I mean, I, I remember our, our leases, not having somebody come into the office and sit down with us for two hours to go through the lease and to explain it to them and do that. And just to post it on Appfolio and then literally electronically sign it. And then when they come to the office, here's the top 10 things you got to know about your lease. Boom, sign it off right. I mean, those kind of things... If, if you put those into place right away, you don't have to worry about them later. If you're in a family business, you got to go shoot some sacred cows and get it moving on. <laughs> yeah. If you're the first generation, you're probably thinking to yourself, we don't have any sacred cows. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then it's so easy to look at someone them. else's business. I can hear business. them in the background. <laughs> right. And it's easy to look at someone else's business or, you know, and be able to pick out those things. It's just blind spots. Everybody has them. And we have them in our own businesses. And that's why you got to evaluate wow. your own stuff and look back at your what you're doing. And, you know, that's why it's good to get outside of your area, talk to other people, other yep. investors, go to conferences, and even listen to podcasts. We have uh, so. two investors. Uh, one's a, he owns a commercial construction company. The other, they do some development. But both of them are in like CEO mastermind groups for the purpose of accountability. And I think that is the space where you realize your blind spots when there's a predetermined group of guys and gals that are in your world and they're going to call you out on your stuff. Um, 
you, we need that because it's hard to sit in the mirror and say, well, what's my blind spot? Well, by definition, you're not going to see what it is right? Um, unless someone else is around I, you. I think I've told that I've taught this to my kids. I have taught this to our team members. Your life is defined by the people you circle up with. Yeah. Wow. And if you're going to be in the real estate, don't get in a silo. Don't, yep. don't sit there and use circle up with the right people. I, even us, when we came in, we, we looked at this transition. Um, I think this will be helpful. We we were doing a lot of our own property management, and but it was just scale. It was growing. We were having to add some people and and do different things, which our company, because it had been a family business, I mean, it would have been two or three people that had been doing all this. Now, all of a sudden, we've got eight, we've got 10, we've got 12, we've got trucks, we've got gas, we've got insurance, we've got liability, all these type of things that are going on. So I spent about 18 months and I researched what it would take if we were going to turn it over to a third-party property management company. And mm. we went through that whole process. I sat down and interviewed five property management companies. I didn't know if we were going to go do it or not. But what I learned in interviewing those, several of those relationships, that was about four years ago, we decided not to do it because one of the biggest things we realized is that our maintenance was running at about 50, with all of those costs I just mentioned, was running at about 50% or less of the cost that it would have taken to hire a property management company. Wow. Uh, in addition to the eight to 10%, you're going to pay them as well. And so we decided to keep it, but those relationships just last week, we, I said, uh, let me text him. Let me text her. Let me see what they do. They text, Hey Jim, what are you guys doing on this? So those relationships are yeah. so key. And it's like Lowe's and Home Depot being across the street from each other. It's just more business for each other. Yeah, it, right. You, you want to learn from people that are out there and I want to learn from you and you want to learn from me. And hopefully we, we do it better. You know, it helps both of us. Well, and that's an important lesson too, even though, I mean, not everybody would reach out to a property management company and then keep the relationship going even after they choose not to go with them. But it's just building your pipeline, building resources. I yeah. mean, even people that reach out that you know reach out to us, even if they don't use us, we still want to have a relationship with them to be able to help them. And you know, they're our resource too now. I mean, you know, it kind of works both ways. So it's important not to close those doors. Absolutely. Um, because I this is the the title of the podcast. You know, building generational wealth for generations. Um, what advice would you give to families in a position that you are? And I, it's twofold. One, what would you say to somebody who's a first generation owner operator looking at handing it off? And then what would you say if you're that next generation in line receiving that from the generation before them? So Jimmy, my father-in-law had two kids, Jay and Lisa. I've already discussed that has been handed off. Well, now between Jay and Lisa and my, you know, and us, our families, we have seven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so think mm-hmm. about that. You went from one to two to seven. Um, That's math. Jay's already at nine grandkids, and um, our kids have not started repopulating the planet yet. Um, but we have a daughter <laughs> that's getting married in October, so you know we grandparenting maybe maybe coming soon for us. But you can, I mean, you can see how quickly it goes. So the first thing that I would say, and we did not do this, and we are paying for it dearly right now. If we could go back and like. Rewind the time clock and get in the time machine and go back and say this. This would be one. I call it the Biltmore rule. There is a place in Asheville, North Carolina, called the Biltmore House. 
Um, mm-hmm. Some of you have maybe seen it. Um, what's that show? Downton Abbey. If you've, if anybody's ever watched Downton Abbey, it's, it's, you got to go to the Biltmore house. It's crazy. I'd never been there. And we went about two years ago. One of the things that I learned and this house was built, I mean, just a work of real estate and art. I mean, it was just crazy way ahead of its time back in what the 1880s, 1890s. And one of the things I've learned, and and it's still generationally owned by the family. If you want to work in the family business at the Biltmore house, you have to go work someplace else for two years before you can come back and work at the Biltmore House. Huh. I call it the Biltmore Rule. And we can go down that rabbit hole if you want, but just suffice it to say from somebody that's you know got the stripes to prove it, you should have your generational, your children go work someplace else and then come back. They will respect it a lot more. They will care for it a lot more. They will take much better care of it versus, you know, possibly being entitled or, you know, I'm here, you know, my last name or whatever those type of things go into that. So that's the one thing. The second thing is if when you get to a point, you need to have a good estate lawyer. You need to have a good planning person that comes alongside, unless you have a lawyer on your team, which we'd always joked about getting a lawyer in the family, but we never ended up doing that. And so you need a good estate lawyer, somebody that can help you process that handoff because there are so many ins and outs, um, tricks and tools of the trade, so to say, to set up that generational um, wealth handoff. And then um, like us, one of the things that we had to do is we had to move beyond family to trust other people Mm -hmm. and had to go beyond just our family for some key leadership positions. So that was another thing that was that was difficult for us. And then I would say the other thing, and I mentioned this earlier that we're in the middle of right now, is culture and leadership, culture and leadership. One of the biggest things in generational transfer of wealth is the handoff. You, you can't mess up the handoff. If you go back and you look at the U.S. Um, women's Olympic team, uh, don't quote me on my dates. It was either 04, 08, and 12, or it was 8, 12, and 16, I, one of those three. They fastest runners in the world favored to win the 400 yard relay three Olympics in a row, which means 12 years. They dropped the baton. They missed the handoff. Mm. Finally, qualified that fourth or the 16 years later, that that fourth Olympics, they reset the world record to break their own world record. But they dropped the handoff. And so many of us drop the handoff because we haven't prepared for what's coming next. We don't we're so as investors as entrepreneurs were, you know, uh, we always joked, it's either ramen noodles or Ruth's Chris, (laughs) you know, know, one day you're eating ramen noodles, the next, Hey man, we did it. We're eating Ruth's Chris. And then it's, and then you're back to ramen noodles really quickly. And and we don't, we, we so look forward. We, we so look right in the moment that we forget to look forward. And great leaders are are constantly looking back at where they've been, looking in at where they are, and looking ahead to where they're doing. And that's a big part of the generational handoff. So we are focusing right now on culture and leadership. And one of the big things that we did for culture and leadership is um, Jay and I sat down and we talked and said, what do we need to go to the next level? This was a couple of years ago for our company to double. And then we saw it doubling and then to quadruple, which we're in the process of it now. We went and hired um, somebody that we trusted, somebody that we'd known. He actually knew my father-in-law, literally built his basement. He was in his, he's in his upper 60s. And I called him up and I said, would you do one more job before you retire? And he said, what is that? 
will you come in and give your friend, my father-in-law, and my brother-in-law, Lisa and I, the gift of you for three years and train our next generation because he could build from the ground up. He had all the knowledge of building, but he brought culture and leadership. He had built a couple of different companies, multi-million dollar companies. He is at our company right now. I just had one of our employees tell me at the end of the year, one of our team members say, he is the best thing that ever happened to our company. Wow. So he hired two years ago, not on knowledge. He had to have the knowledge, but on culture and leadership alone. And what he took those systems that we had in place, I, we literally one per, you know, when I say one hire can make a difference, we literally during the last couple of years, which was crazy, we have a 10,000 square foot warehouse, Lowe's and trucks come to our place now and deliver all of our supplies and our guys don't go to Lowe's anymore. Wow. They come in that morning, whatever their work orders are, and they go in there, they got their plumbing supplies, they got their lights, they got their doors, they got their toilets, they've got, you know, whatever they need in there, they can go get because he had the foresight for us to build culture and leadership. And it, I mean, you can imagine just that little thing of trips. Oh, yeah. Closed, oh, yeah. You know, and all they do is come in and they check it out, beat, beat, we, we sign it in and out. It, it, and he started buying things in bulk that he saw getting ready to go off the shelf. <laughs> And so Lowe's didn't have things at times that we had in our warehouse because we went and bought it in box so we could make it through those year, those couple of years. And now this year when everything went crazy and building costs skyrocketed and we saw building costs 30% a quarter this year, mm. ours was raising, we were still able to go back to some of those prices because we had some of that stuff sitting in our warehouse. And that was because of a hire on culture and leadership. It was much more than, can you just do this job, but can you come in and train the next generation? And it is, it has been night and day. It hasn't been without its craziness, but it's been great. Wow. Wow. And when you say, I I mean, if you don't want to share all those details, it's fine. But when you say you doubled in the last since you guys have taken over the business, when you tubbled and you're about to quadruple, what what is what are the metrics of that? How many units are you guys at, or what were you at, and what did you get to? Yeah, well, you know, we look at, I mean, those specific things. We we look at our rent factors of of what our monthly, um, you know, rental income and, and so forth is, and then we look at the size of, um, you know, of our portfolio, and so where when it was handed off. Um, you know, to us from that standpoint, and we might have been at, um, you know, several hundred properties, we've seen that double. So a couple hundred properties, we've right. seen that double. We had one commercial building. We now have um, um, seven commercial buildings, um, that that type of a thing. And we're constantly doing that. And um, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that does. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to we're going to move on kind of to our next segment. We're going to jump into our smaller pockets. Um, so what was one of the worst real estate deals that maybe you were a part of or maybe that your company was a part of? And uh, maybe explain that a little bit. But more importantly, what did you guys learn from it? Ooh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I, don't we all want to say, hey, we don't make any mistakes? I mean, yeah, everyone always gets a little bit quiet after we ask that. Like, I know. Oh, well, if we shiver, wanted to do a know? full podcast on mistakes, um, I can teach you much more from our mistakes than I can from, from our mountaintop experiences. Oh, man. Um, but just a couple, um, I, I'll tap on one or two quick ones. One was 
we have built our business over 35 to 40 years on, um, I mean, I always tell my kids showing up is 90% of the game. The other 10% happens when you get there. Hmm. So just imagine this, those of you that are new and those of you that maybe have been doing this, maybe you can relate to this. We have showed up every month at the courthouse steps for going on almost 40 years. Wow. For sheriff sales. The month, 40 years. Do we always get something? No. And where we were at one or two counties, now we do that at nine counties. <laughs> wow. So every, so right now it's coming up, you know, we're, we're, we're the weekend, you know, happy in between week to everybody. I know you'll be listening to this the first of the year and hopefully you man, your first of the year is off to an amazing start, but January 3rd, it's live for us again. And so our, 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 our cyclical part of our, you know, our business gets built around that timetable the first Tuesday. Cause we do a lot of, we build our business on foreclosures and tax sales. That's hmm. been most of them. And, um, and then, of course, lately we've gotten into the whole 1031 thing. I know you guys did a great podcast. If anybody's interested in that, you got to go back and listen to that podcast. I learned a lot. We've done multiple 1031s on it. But so in that process, what happens when you go by foreclosures, it's a dicey world. And, <laughs> to say the least. And I mean, we could do, I, I, I've joked, we should do a whole TV show on this, but <laughs> we will not go down that road right now. We're going to, I'm not even going to give you the title because you might steal it. Could be in the work. But um, one of the things I remember was we had this particular piece of property and typically if it's too good to be true, it's. Is. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's too good to be true. <laughs> so we found it and, you know, you've already heard that we love to um, get into the manufactured home world. So a lot of those, I mean, there's like, you could have one piece of property with two or three of them on there. They could be grandfathered. They could be a dirt road. You know, there's one up front. There's one back there that Aunt May lived in. And there's one back there that Uncle Larry lived in. And now the pro it's in probate court. Nobody had a will. And so boom, here it is at the foreclosure. Well, we run into one of those. Then we go out there and we can't get in. Um, I won't talk about, you know, how we get in properties and look at them or anything like that. I don't want to get in trouble here, but we can't get in, but we look at it and we're like, oh my gosh. And we look at what's left on it. And we go up there, we go bid on it, man, boom, we, we get it. We think, you know, Scrooge McDuck, we did it. Right. And we discovered that we got a second mortgage. Oh, wow. Like there was a second mortgage on the property that you bought. Yeah. And that's what was being auctioned off, not the first one. So we've never oh. made that mistake again. Find me some wood to knock on because it's easy to make it, especially when you do that. But that cost us $90,000 because um, we had to go. We had to go when, when the first mortgage came up, which it did because the second mortgage got, you know, foreclosed on about three months later, the first mortgage came up. And so there we were, we basically paid twice for the same property. Um, so that sucked. That wasn't too much fun. Pissed me off and all of us, but we learned from it and we moved on. And uh, that was a good one. We, um, this past year, because we've been kind of moving um, from manufactured homes to a lot of um, single family dwellings. Um, and then moved into commercial, and then we've been moving into some multifamily. And so we 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 had some 1031 money, and we were looking at it. And we just we went into a we just went into this area. Um, it was um, socioeconomically. It was we wanted to help, and we got it. And man, we just it, it's it's been craziness. Um, it was 28 apartments, um, and if you can imagine it, it was all block walls. <laughs> we oh, got wow. in. nice! Somebody had held held it. Um, for about 30 years, 
their method of evicting people, we, we get there and there was literally bars on each door. And at the closing, That's not good. give us this bar. And we're like, what's this for? And they said, well, when they don't pay their rent, you put it in there and they can't get in and out. We don't even mess with the court. <laughs> What savage. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, yeah, they're in jail. They're in house jail. They didn't pay their rent. So that was one that, you know, our our hearts were bigger than our heads. But you know what? We worked through it. And we're going on our third year of that property. Um, We have changed it. Um, Some of the original tenants are still there. We've, We've moved in a whole new group of tenants. We have taken the block walls and put some sheetrock in there. It, they're one bedroom. They're, it's a bedroom and a living room and a bathroom. And it's all, kind of a- All 28? 20, all 20 of them are the exact same thing. So now we've gone in, we've sheetrocked, we put in new cabinets. Some of them now have washer and dryers. We've been able to take it, you know, a value add type of thing. But it took us a lot longer than expected on that. It's been about a three-year journey. So was that in Georgia? That was in, uh, yeah, in Athens, that Georgia. Was, okay. Would you mind sharing what you bought that for? I mean price wise? Yeah. The twenty eight um, unit. Yeah, but we got the we got the twenty-eight unit um right around um seven digits. So it's about one one point one million. What do you think that would be worth today now that you guys have gone in there and helped reposition it and you caught maybe the last three years of some uh well of when we went in, the equity. rent factors were um they were paying four to four fifty a month per hmm. apartment that they were living in. Now today, you're not going to get in there for less than six fifty to seven fifty a month. Mm-hmm. So we've literally taken and value added that. There were, I think, ten of the twenty eight were empty. Mm. Uh, I remember getting a text, and like I said, this has been a long journey. We 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 redid the face, we did pressure washing, um, we came in and 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 fixed some stuff. We put an alarm system, and it's right across. It's 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 right across the street from the police station. I mean, when we took it over. Um, you know, the first weekend we took it over, we get the phone call because there's gunshots there. It was crazy. <laughs> and so, but now we've seen this and I got a text, um, I think it was about three or four weeks ago from our in-house leasing agent that said, we just rented the last, that property is totally full. So wow. Totally full. And, and the great thing is we've been able to help a lot of people and, um, people that, you know, may not be able, you know, that are in a season of life that we could help them with a rent that's affordable to them. We've always said that we want to provide quality homes at affordable prices. And we've been able to buy them a quality place to live at affordable prices. So it's, it's been a, it's been a win-win, but it was a tough one. So I want to jump to this because I know this is a big, a big aspect that really stokes the fire for what you guys do. Talk a little bit about the Pridgen Carpenter Leadership Foundation and where was that birthed? Well, it started, um, I think we launched it almost five years ago now. And it was birthed out of seeing all 10 of our parents take that step to the other side. And we wanted to do something that would leave a legacy for them. Um, there was um, a financial reason to do it too. Um, when you look into that because of um, a place to invest money and give it to. There's a lot of rules around it. So we have a private foundation. And what we wanted to do with it is um, our parents love the next generation and especially the founders of our business. Um, They were very involved um, with the next generation whenever they could help. 
Um, there is a place um, even in Comer, Georgia, um, where refugees come to, um, which is kind of crazy. Um, but they they had always helped support that. They'd always helped support, you know, anything that had to do with students. So we came up with this idea to start the Pridgen and Carpenter Leadership Foundation. We call it PCLF Cares. It really got launched um, right during the um the craziness of the virus that has happened the last couple of years. It's kind of hit everybody worldwide. And so we were able to go in and do some things immediately and begin to provide meals for nurses. And I cannot tell you how many times we, we fed all the nurses at our hospital, like 50 different times. Wow. Um, this thing got launched and we have pictures of it. And if you go to PCLFcares.org, you can see some of that. But then the big heart of that was to leave a legacy and to pass something on. And so I was on an airplane a while back and somebody asked me what I did. And I was like, interesting. So I just said, I'm gonna try something new. My mind just <laughs> kind of went there and I said, um, I impact the generation beside me and inspire the generation ahead of me to invest in the generation behind me. Huh. And their eyes went like, what? <laughs> that came to you on the spot? Yeah. And it, and it just, well, <laughs> Which, I mean, we've kind of lived pretty this good. impact, inspire, and invest. But the answer when somebody asked me what to do kind of came that way. Yeah. And so I came back and I just looked at our team and I said, when somebody asks you what you do, you're so much more than what you do. You're so much more than what you do at Pridget Enterprises. You're, 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 a, you're a mom. You're a dad. You're a parent. You're a leader. You're, you're somebody in your community. And we want to pour that into the next generation. And so we've been able to come alongside and take some of the blessings that we've had and impact the generation beside us, inspire the generation ahead of us to invest in the generation behind us. And it's unexplainable humanly. The doors have been opened, but it's undeniable mm. that somebody had a plan for that. And we find ourselves um, working, teaching leadership um, every month. Right before I go to the auction, I do a Zoom leadership call in 14 different countries called First Tuesdays. And those 14 countries are in, in front of hundreds of thousands of teens. We partner with another organization that does things on college campuses and um, raises up the next generation of leaders on college campuses. We partner with um, doors have opened in the marketplace and ministry um, for us to teach leadership. We have um, a next generation squad. I call it my Nash squad. All three of my kids are in Nashville. Hmm. Um, shout out to my daughter. If you haven't yeah. checked her out, Mackenzie Carpenter, you got to go look her up on um, iTunes. She just signed a record label deal. Country music singer. She's amazing. But, you know, dad's saying that. No, <laughs> she, she's really good. She's really good. Yeah, she is. Yeah, and I'm not a country music guy, and she's really good. She got to open for uh, Miranda Lambert last year. She was on tour with Jake Owen. Um, she's um, got her Opry thing coming up here in February. Oh, wow. Stay tuned for some of that. She's got her Opry interview. A lot of things are happening there. And um, um, she and her brother, her brother plays guitar for her. So it's, it's kind of cool. But through all of that, we have this Nash squad. We have this, I call it our Ath squad, and a bunch of 20-somethings that we pour into on a regular basis. And, um, and God's just opened the door for those. It's been pretty cool. So um, a shout out to the Nath and Nash and the Ask Squad, if any of them are listening. Dude, I, uh, what I love though, Jim, is um, it's an expression. It's not like, what are we going to go do? It, you, it's out of the working of, is that culture leadership that you were talking about? And um, everybody has to figure out how to answer that question of how do I leave something behind after I'm gone. 
because the reality is nobody gets off this planet alive. And that's when things get really fun is when you can tap into a purpose that's much bigger than providing for my family or, you know, career advancement. Like that's all good. But at the end of the day, it's very limited. And you guys are figuring out how to create impact. Like you said, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but were you writing a book? Did you finish it? Is it in the works? Um, it's in the works. Man, I really wanted to be able to promote that. So, um, what, like, give we'll, us. We'll uh, come back another time. To do that when it gets done. <laughs> <laughs> when do you? I mean, do you have it? Maybe it's too early to even throw a timeline out there of when someone could expect that. It, it's too early. Okay. All right. I'm well, that'll be a teaser to get you on again. If you want Garrett and I to write the forward for that, just just let us know. <laughs> yeah. To sum up, and maybe this is just the great landing spot um, for you guys. If, if I could say anything to a new investor or to a seasoned investor, the thing that I've watched, um, and I've intentionally studied leadership for 40 years. When I stepped into real estate, it wasn't like I had all this knowledge, but I had leadership knowledge, which applies any place. And I believe that before a great work happens through you, it has to happen in you. And character counts. And so take the time to develop yourself as a leader, whether you're an investor, whether you're seasoned or a rookie, develop yourself, meet everyone you can, um, find a mentor, mentor somebody, tr travel where you can, open, your, take risks, read books, um, pour into yourself because when you do that, you'll have a chance to pour into others and build that generational wealth, I believe. But I don't think it happens if you're not ready for it. If it hasn't happened in you, I don't see it happening through you. Yep. You can fight that if you want, but it's one of those tried and true things that you can't get around. Um, well, Jim, thank you so much, man, for taking the time out. I know we were squeezing this in around some family happenings and uh, in between Christmas and New Year. But when we really wanted this episode to happen because this is super applicable and there's not a lot of people talking about how to transition wealth and that transfer. And it's something that unfortunately people learn kind of like you guys did too late and you navigated that. But I think there's some things here that people could implement proactively um, as that, that kind of comes down the pipeline. So brother, thank you so much. And uh, we're going to have you on again. Cheers. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Reinvest Podcast. Hit those five stars on our profile if you enjoyed our content. And make sure to stay tuned every first and third Tuesday of the month for new episodes. And if you want to get in touch with us, go to our LinkedIn or Facebook profiles and shoot us a message. We will see you next time.